Here we are. We uh, uh, talked already about chapter 1 and uh, actually uh, a portion of uh, chapter 2. And we talked a lot about how the apex of the creation is the creation of mankind and, and uh, what that means. And so here, uh, in, uh, in chapter 2, we talked last week, of course, about uh, part of what it means to be in the image and likeness of God is to cultivate and keep. God places a man in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And we talked all about that um, uh, last time, about uh, how uh, God has created us to work and God has created us to oversee this world. And we are so we are created in His image and likeness. He's given us dominion over this world to oversee it and subdue it and to care for it and protect it. But uh, that also uh, has to do with whatever we do in our work and in our jobs. And we read some passages from the Brit Chadashah about, you know, especially in Colossians in the third chapter, where it says, whatever you do, do it for uh, the Lord. Do it uh, with thankfulness. Do it for the glory of God. And it is very interesting that the beginning of those that verse says, whatever you do. It doesn't say figure out the one thing that you're supposed to do. But whatever you do, you know, and we talked about that, how, our, how work matters to God and we affect the people where we work, we affect people by what we do, and, and, uh, and so it is all very important and part of what it means to be created in the image and, uh, and likeness to God, of God. But now as we continue here in verse um, 17, uh, 16 and 17, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. So it's interesting. Not only being created in the image of God means to care for this world, but also, evidently, it includes decision-making. It includes uh, having a uh, having a, a choice, uh, and so here we see that there is one prohibition uh, here in this Garden of Eden. Right, uh, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat from it, uh, you will uh, you will surely die. So, being created in the image of God means cultivating and keeping it, and now we see that it also. Uh, has to do with, um, with choice. God allows us, as human beings, to not be just autonomous, I mean, uh, to be uh, automatons. <laughs> There's a big difference there, isn't it? Uh, uh, but, to, uh, but to have choice, uh, to be free. And to be free means that there is a little open-endedness to things that God allows us to make choices. So here, uh, we see here, we might ask ourselves, why, why have the tree there? You know, why, why even have the, uh, the option? Well, it's part of the responsibility of being created in the image and likeness of God is to make right, uh, right choices. It doesn't mean that our choices determine what God's plan is for this world. Uh, that's why 
uh, he says here, in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. And so that there are ramifications to the choices we make. It's amazing that there are all kinds of marvelous choices to be able to make in the Garden of Eden. And one bad choice, right? Uh, now, we're not in chapter 3 yet, so we're not going to go all over that choice yet. But just the fact that there is the choice is what we see here. That being created in the image and likeness of God means uh, that uh, we have the uh, opportunity to choose uh, choose God, choose right and wrong. Now, you might say, well, how can that be? God is uh, the sovereign of the universe. Well, you know what's really uh, wonderful is that we will see, you, don't even, you probably don't even think about it when you're reading the Bible, but people make choices all throughout the Bible, and a lot of bad ones, right? But what does God do? God delivers. God will not allow our choices our bad choices, to thwart his plan, right? We suffer because of sin. The world suffers because we don't, it's a whole, when we get to chapter three, there's so many, there's, it's like peeling an onion, you know? It's, it's all about how we don't know what to do with being free, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, with uh, being created in the image of God in, in, the, in the garden is to be free, but we have a very difficult time as human beings being free. Uh, and so God must deliver us. And that, you know, when you just read through the book of Breshit, through the book of Genesis, God, right after God makes a promise to Abram, he makes a bad choice. Right away, he makes a bad choice. God must come to the rescue, right? Lot makes a bad choice. God must come to the rescue. Abram continues to make a few wrong choices along the way. God comes to the rescue. Jacob makes some uh, not such good choices. God comes to the rescue. The children of Israel are in Egypt and are slaves. God comes to the rescue. And so the fact that God is the Redeemer uh, it tells us that he, uh, while he allows and values our freedom and values the choices that we make, God will not just let us go. See? And of course, in the coming of the Messiah is the ultimate deliverance that he has uh, indeed, uh, indeed given to us. We may not realize it, but that in our very creation, uh, God condescends to humanity by making promises to, to a humanity that makes wrong choices. God obligates himself to this world. Maybe that's a better word. God obligates himself to this world. By creating time, which he does each day of the creation, he places himself on one level in time. This obligates him, again, to humanity in a, in a certain way. And this is how much God values and loves humanity. We're not just chess pieces on a board here. He gives us uh, a level of freedom, freedom within limits. You can eat any tree that you want in the garden. Just don't eat from this one. So there is freedom with limitations. And that is part of what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. Wow, that has a lot to say to us. Uh, frankly, going back to what we were talking about last week, how we make decisions about what am I going to do with my life or any decision that we make. 
That's why we always, as Messiah followers, that's why first we need to know the Lord so we're connected to God and we have the Ruach, the Spirit of God, so that we can make right choices and know that we're making right choices. And God values those choices that we make. And we know that when we make wrong choices, while we may suffer the consequences of those wrong choices, God will not just let us sink into the quicksand. See? So this is something that we learn right here about the fact that there is this tree in the garden. Now, why the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? First, of all, let me just say uh, here that uh, the reason for that tree, uh, most likely, is because having the knowledge of good and evil is being like God in the sense of being able to live independently, being able to make independent decisions, uh, living uh, on our own, so to speak. And we'll, we'll bring that out next, uh, next time when we talk about eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and uh, what they think is supposed, what they think is going, they're going to have and what they actually end up, uh, what actually ends up happening to the man uh, and the woman. Okay? All right. So, I, so I, having oversight of this world and having a choice. But now there's something else. Okay? Now we read in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So this now is uh, the first time that we uh, read uh, that something is not good. That something is not good. Everything is good that God makes. But here we see uh, there is something that is not good. What is not good? It is not good for the man to be alone. So God says, I will make him an ezer, a helper uh, compatible for him. That's really uh, uh, comparable to him. Okay. Uh, so now the word helper here uh, is an important word. It doesn't refer to any kind of hierarchy of any sort, okay? In fact, God is called the helper, uh, the helper of, uh, of mankind. Uh, and so it is, uh, it is not any kind of a, a negative uh, term, but a companion, a helper suitable for him is a, a, a companion, okay? All right. So now we see, and out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature uh, was, was his name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every living beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper uh, suitable, uh, there was not found a helper suitable uh, for him. So the first thing we see is, what is not good? It is not good for the man to be all by himself. So evidently, relationship with at least another human being is the requirement for the creation of mankind to be evaluated as good. Okay? That it is not good for a person to be alone in isolation, by themselves. Okay, that's, that's what we read here. Okay? 
And so now it's interesting what happens. God does not just simply say, okay, I'm going to make the woman. No. Notice the role that the man has in what's going on here. Now, also you want to notice it says, out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and everything else. And, uh, and they're called living creatures. What else comes out of the ground that is called a living creature? The man. Made from the dust of the earth, it's called a living creature. Okay? And so here we see, out of the, so out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature was its name. So we see as part of the dominion of mankind, God gives to the man the freedom to name the animals. But not only name the animals. Okay? It's not sort of like he is the zookeeper. Uh, you know, and, uh, and giving uh, the animals, uh, you know, I will call this one Sally and, you know, uh, this one something else. But uh, it speaks of the dominion that man has over the animals, but there's something else. And that is, the man is figuring out that none of the animals is suitable. That the animals don't qualify. Okay? So it's interesting, the man has the responsibility and the freedom of this determination. I think that's very interesting. Again, we see that man uh, has this uh, freedom and that this choice in, involved. Okay? So, man, but man cannot uh, create the woman. God creates the woman. God delivers, this is, this, may I suggest, that this is the first experience of deliverance in the Bible. God delivers the man from being alone. The man has determined that there's nothing that has been created is suitable. And so then God brings him deliverance. And what does the Lord God do? He says he caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs. Now, literally, I know every translation says rib, right? But that's not exactly what the word means took him from his side. The, the really, the best translation is he took from his side, one from his side, because the word echad is in there. Uh, he took one from his side. So if he won, what's one of something on his side would be a rib. But I think it's more important than figuring that out to recognize that he took from his side and closed up the flesh in that place. And God fashioned, it's an interesting word here, banai, which means basically he built, <laughs> okay? But, you know, we, he created the woman, but, but not out of the dust of the ground, but she comes out of the man, part of the man, from his side, okay? Uh, into a woman, uh, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to, uh, and brought her to the man. So here we see, Again, freedom again. And then we see here God delivering the man from loneliness and uh, fashions uh, the woman, right? Okay. Now what's interesting, we see something else that, um, that takes place. The man speaks for the first time. He's never spoken yet, so he speaks. Uh, and, uh, and what does he do? He, he speaks words we could say, to and about the woman. 
And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, this is important also because up until now, notice, notice you see a difference in the terminology here. It doesn't say she shall be called female because she was taken out of the male. That's, those are different words. Okay? It uses the word ish for man and isha for woman. One thing is just simply that the word, the name of woman comes from the name of man, that there is a unique suitability, a unique relationship between ish and isha, uh, man and woman. But there's something else. The definition of ish speaks of personhood, and therefore isha speaks of personhood, not primarily gender, but personhood. It does speak of gender is included. Isha is a woman, is, is, is a female by definition. Okay? But the, what he's saying here is, you know, you know I, she shall be a woman. Uh, she uh, comes out of the man. Uh, and there is a uniqueness to a man and a woman. Okay? Now, we do not, to my knowledge, and you can tell me, those of you that are farmers and so on, we usually do not refer to a, a male a cow as a man, uh, you know, or a uh, you know a, a female horse as a woman, right? Only humanity is called ish and isha, okay? Only a, a human man and human woman is called ish and isha, all right? So this is very specific. Now, what about these words? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, I, she shall be called woman. You know, it's amazing what people can read into a passage. Like, uh, bone is hard and strong, flesh is weak, and so uh, in strength and in weakness, Right? Uh, the problem there is it's hard to read, uh, you know, the book of Galatians into verse 23, but that's another story. But perhaps bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh is speaking that we are suitable. We are one. There is a oneness about us. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you actually read the very phrase bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. But you do read in a few places, get out your Bible works, right? Okay? And if you look for a verse that has bone and flesh together, my guess is uh, you're going to find a couple of places where loyalty oaths are taken, or people are declaring their loyalty to others by using, uh, we're one, bone and flesh. And I would suggest that what you have here is that the man is saying to the woman, I am, I am a loyal to you. We are one. Wow. Not like all those animals that I just got done naming. You are different from all of them. You come from me. We are one. Not, okay, so here's the rules, woman. You know, uh, this is how it's going to be. 
But the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, that now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, because she's taken out of Ish. And so there is a, uh, a oneness. A, we, we could call it a covenantal relationship between the man and the woman. Okay? Now, before we go farther uh, here, I think it's important to recognize that this is not what, one of the things that this is not saying. And this happens in the first few chapters of Genesis, that we tend to try to figure out what the, we want to understand answers to questions that the text is not telling us. And so we ask it questions that it's not telling us, right? Better we should focus on what it is telling us, right? Okay? But now having said that, let me say that when one reads this, we should not come to the conclusion that a single, a person who is not married is not in uh, a right relationship with God, right? That is uh, actually probably not articulated, but believed <laughs> uh, all over the place, all right? Uh, the pro one, I think what, what it is telling us is that the primary relationship, the primary relation, human relationship is man and woman, primary relationship. But just like when we read the Ten Commandments and we read uh, that uh, we should honor our father and our mother, it doesn't mean that the only authority in our lives is our father and our mother, but is the primary, it is the primary authority in our lives, is father and mother. But the principle applies to all authority in our lives. And sometimes when I'm teaching Deuteronomy in our, at MSI, I, we make the point of saying that you could outline the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy and that each of the commandments is like a barrel that, uh, that is of, a, of one particular uh, principle and, and a whole bunch of laws go in that barrel. And so all the laws about authority come out of you shall honor your father and your mother. So in this very same way, God is ordaining human relationship here. The primary one being husband and wife. But the principle applies to all human relationship. That is why it is not good for a human being to be by themselves, meaning isolated. That is why cruel and unusual punishment is isolation. We are not wired that way. We are not wired to be a rock and an island. We are wired to be in relationship with other human beings. Okay? Uh, and so what I would say is, uh, while it is true that some people are called to be uh, single, uh, you know, and others are called to be married, uh, that helps us, by the way, in another passage in the New Covenant in 1 Corinthians. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But some people are called to be single. Some people are called to be married. But none of us are called to live completely isolated from others. That is why throughout the Bible, uh, we read, well, all the, law, the laws of the Torah are about human relationship. Outside of the ones that have to do with how we relate to God, they're all about human relationship. 
how we relate to other people. Okay? Very important. Not only that, but when you... uh, Let me just say why that is. You might be wondering, well, why is that? Because notice that uh, uh, the laws have to do with the community of Israel. Israel lives... Israel lives in community with itself. And so the laws that God gives are laws of a community, even when they pertain to what I wear or what I eat or whatever it might be. The understanding it is, it's in community. When you come to the New Covenant, it's very interesting. You read a phrase over and over and over and over again, and and it makes for great uh, teaching and preaching, and that is the word one another, one another. And I'll bet if you are a Bible reader, you could think right now of at least 10 of them, right? But do you know that there are approximately 50, 50 different ways that we are called in a new covenant to interact with one another, one another, one another. God did not call us to live in isolation. And so that, that means that when we talk about being created in the image and likeness of God, well, yes, I myself am created in the image and likeness of God because I'm one of a part of a community, but it is in unity, in echad, that we truly highlight what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. That, it is, that is why it is not good for man to be alone. By your own experience, if you've been around for a while, what happens... When people leave, a sp- let's just talk about a, com- a spiritual community, whether it's Beth Messiah or a, a church or a synagogue or whatever it might be. When a person goes off on their own, what often happens? It's just bad things. Bad teaching, bad belief, uh, negativity, uh, depression. <laughs> lots of, lots of n- negative things happen because God did not wire us that way. That is why... When you are feeling bad and you don't want to and you don't want to be here, that is the best time to come. Like force yourself because God ministers one to the other. God is in the midst. God is in the midst of our conversations. God is in the midst of our our uh, of of how we interact with each other and and so on and so forth. That's why not only is the service important, but the oneg is also very important. It's when we interact with each other. And that is oftentimes how God speaks to us. Most of the time, God speaks to us through other people, through uh, our uh, situations and things of that, ma- of that nature. Okay? So we see here how wonderful it is that God makes another, first, we'll just say first, another person. Okay? And now, uh, and now there are two. And now it's good. And you want to go back. This is elaborating on chapter 1 in verse 27. When it says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Two. Okay? In his image. All right. Now, verse 24. For this cause, because of this, because of this, because... She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Because we are one, because we, are, we have covenant, one might say, or loyalty toward one another, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
Okay. Isn't it interesting that the man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife? It doesn't say the wife uh, leaves her father and mother and cleaves to the man. Maybe we might wonder, why is it like that? Okay. Well, God created the man, and out of the man, he created the woman. Okay. And the man says, so far, the woman has not spoken yet. The man says to the woman, you are bone of my bone. You are flesh of my flesh. I am loyal to you. And so by depicting this, of course it goes both ways, obviously. But uh, the man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh, is saying that my pri- the man is saying my primary loyalty is to you. Certainly, verse 24 uh, is added. This is not said in the Garden of Eden. Verse 24 is not like said in the Garden. This is a, the, the principle that we learn from what the man says to the woman is that a man, it's like, it's like the narrator or Moses is teaching us something here in verse 24 from what has taken place in the Garden. Follow me on that? Okay. Okay, so because of this, uh, because nothing's been said yet about fathers and mothers, we don't have generations yet or anything, but when this is written, there's plenty of generations uh, that have gone on, right? It's written to people that lived way later than Adam and Eve. The people in the wilderness lived way later than Adam and Eve, where there's fathers and mothers and, and families and so on. And so what Moses is telling us is, see what has happened here in the garden? That's, now, there's a principle here uh, that takes place with the man saying, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And how our na- the names are real similar, <laughs> right? And so because of this, a man finds his primary loyalty not to his mother and his father, but to uh, his wife. And therefore, they shall become joined together. This is not, you know, some, you'll notice there's something missing here. Sometimes we read it into this passage. Nothing is said yet here about sexuality. So far, you don't read anything about sexuality. You're reading about loyalty. You're reading about unity. You're reading about oneness. The man does not leave his mother and his father because he wants to have sex with the woman. Okay, but because he is loyal, he is committed, he is in covenant relationship with her, and therefore they are echad, they are one. Now, certainly, uh, everything from procreation uh, to uh, the joy of uh, physical attraction uh, is included in the relationship of husband and wife. But primarily, there is, it is covenantal relationship. Primarily, uh, it is, I will die for you. I love you. We are one. I will take care of you. I will love you. And all that goes into that. Right? Okay? Uh, so let's now talk about the word echad a little bit. Okay? Boy, this is really coming in handy for certain events coming up. Uh, so a few of you might hear some of this again. I don't know, maybe, but anyway. Okay, uh, isn't it amazing that today we're talking about this? It's really amazing. 
So echad, echad is a great word, loaded, loaded word. It is basically the word that means one, right? It's the number one. Echad, shtaim, shalosh, arba, one, two, three, four. You know, if I, if I uh, have one child, I'll say echad, one. So there's nothing, uh, you know, it means the word one. Uh, I'm married to one person, echad, one, one other person. But the word, as we know, the word uh, is also used to speak of a unity, okay? There's a, there are other words that could be used to describe one as a singular. Uh, achat, uh, yachid, you know, there's words that are derived from the, from the root, right? That can mean only, meaning of one or one singular, all kinds of things. And again, the primary, you don't want to get the idea that, the, that echad only means unity. It does not only mean unity. But it includes that. And so what you see here is they become an echad. They become one flesh. We might say, and I, I love this phrase, a, 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 a uh, wait a minute. Well, what, a, a, um, oh, just let, a, the um, diversified, not diversified, differentiated, thank you, Marcy, a differentiated unity. I should read my notes, probably, shouldn't I? Right? I should just read my notes, and I'll be fine. A differentiated unity. Not one is, is in that we have to be the same. We're not the same. The man is not with another man, right? It's male and female, man and woman. A differentiated unity. Uh, and that is why when we talk about the image of God, God is a differentiated unity. Man in... Community is a, a part of a differentiated unity. Our community here is a differentiated unity. A husband and wife is a differentiated unity. Meaning, we're different, but we're the same. We have different gifts, talents, personalities. But when you put it all together in our communication and in the way that we relate to one another, and that what we demonstrate, therefore, is the image of God. Uh, and, uh, and so we see uh, this. Now, you know what's interesting is the davak, the word that means to cling, cleave to the wife, cling to the wife, is used in a variety of passages that speak about our covenant relationship with God. Uh, in Deuteronomy, in chapter 4, in verse 4, in chapter 10, in verse 20, and, and elsewhere, uh, you'll see that and you even have the phrase, cling to God, it says in those pages. Like, for example, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, you see it here somewhere, right? Uh, clinging to God. Oh, I can't find it. Oh, my gosh. Is that Deuteronomy? Um, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The word isn't cling in English, but it's davak in Hebrew. It says in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 4, but you who held fast to the Lord your God, it might say cling in some translations, but hold, holding fast to the Lord your God, in Hebrew, that's davak, davak. The same word as cleave to your wife, hold fast to God, okay? And in other uh, places as well. And so it's very interesting that the same Hebrew words are used for, uh, for that relationship. And our relationship with God uh, is one in which there is loyalty, right? Uh, in, in which a God, we are the bride of Messiah. God has taken uh, to us and he is loyal indeed to us, right? 
And so our relationship with God should be mirrored in our relationship with others and in that primary relationship that's spoken of here, husband and wife, one man, one woman. Uh, And so primarily what that relationship is, is covenant relationship, Uh, relationship of faithfulness, relationship uh, of uh, unity, of uh, unity of vision, uh, unity of mission, unity of love, and and, uh, so on. Okay? Now, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. It's interesting that that verse is there. It could have stopped at, you know, the end of uh, verse 24 there. But the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Why does it say that? May I suggest because they were not self-conscious. They were not about themselves. It was not about me. They were naked and not ashamed. It was not, they, were, they, they were not concerned with self. What happens in chapter 3? When they eat, they're naked and what? Ashamed. Now it's me. But without sin, it's not about me. There is no shame. They, they're, they're not cognizant of, of that issue. There's no, there's no uh, sinfulness uh, uh, in, re- in relationship uh, to their being uh, totally one, transparent, naked, right? That only comes with sin. But what also comes is the sense of, of self-consciousness. Because what are they ashamed? They're ashamed of themselves. It's themselves. Not, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm ashamed of me, you know? It's about, it becomes self-consciousness. And, uh, and I think that is what is being brought out here. They're totally consumed just with loyalty, with love, uh, with faithfulness, uh, and all that goes with echad. And then we know, we know what happens in chapter 3. We'll, believe me, we're going to go through it. But we all know it. We all know that man sins. We all, we all know it. And we all know that um, just as we have vandalized this world by our freedom, our freedom, we end up being slaves. That's what, we know how to be slaves. We don't really know how to be free. And that's one of the things we're going to be learning in chapter 3. And that is we have vandalized humanity. We have vandalized other people. What takes over? Selfishness, greed, pride, all the things that go into it's all about me. And you know what's really interesting is that when we are reclaimed by God, when we know the Lord, I want us to look at two passages very, very quickly to to make a point. First, turn with me to the book of Galatians in the fifth chapter. Galatians in the fifth chapter. You're familiar with this. Many of you are familiar with this. It talks about deeds of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. And I want to read the deeds of the flesh and compare them in general with the fruit of the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions... Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Things like what? If you look at every single one of these, they all are deal breakers in relationships. They break relationships. 
I guess you could make the case that sorcery and idolatry maybe have to do with breaking the relationship with God. But uh, the others, immorality, impurity, sensuality, certainly enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and th those kinds of things. Vandalize relationships. Ruin relationships. Destroy the image of God. Yes, there's forgiveness for these things. It's not what we're talking about. But they destroy the image of God. But look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then notice it says, again, such things. Things like these. These are not complete lists. They are descriptions of a way of life. Each one of them is a description of a way of life. And notice that the description of the way of life of the fruit of the Spirit engenders relationship, builds relationship, nurtures relationship, not only of husband and wife, but we could say primarily of husband and wife as the primary relationship, but of all relationships. When we live by the fruit of the Spirit, wow, it's great to be in community with each other. But boy, what does strife do? What do enmities do? What does immorality do? It breaks relationship. It destroys. You know, by the way, in our uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday morning Chavurah group, we just looked at the um, 13th and 14th chapters of Genesis. And it's interesting that uh, Abram has this value of peace. What does he say to Lot in chapter 13? Let there not be strife between us or between our herdsmen. And Abram then falls on the sword. He could have said, Lot, hit the road. This is my land. God gave it to me. But he doesn't. He says, Lot, pick what you want and I'll go elsewhere. And he blesses Lot. And then what does God do? God blesses him and says, you know, it says Lot went east. And then God says, hey, Abram, you look in any of the four directions, north, south, west, and east. And I'm going to give this to you and your descendants forever. God blesses him. Abram blessed Lot. God blessed him. A, a good illustration of this relational uh, blessing of being created in the image and likeness of God. The other passage, real quickly, and you probably know where we would go for this, right? Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. When we are filled with the Spirit of God... We're going to live a certain way. We're going to, and it's funny how the, almost the definition of being filled with the Spirit of God is living a certain way outside of the service. Okay? Wow. Okay? All right. So notice, we don't have time to go through this whole thing, but if you go back to verse um, 18, don't get drunk with wine, that is dissipation, but be filled with the fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit. And notice the very next, speaking to one another. Let's stop with what it is. But it's speaking to one another, not speaking to myself, not going in uh, uh, saying, well, I'm filled with the Spirit and nobody else is like me, so I'm going to go and be by myself. No. Okay? Speaking to one another, there is a unity here. When we are filled with the Spirit, when the Spirit of God is controlling us, we will be in fellowship. We will be in community. We, by definition. Okay, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, speaking and making melody with our heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord, Yeshua HaMashiach, to God, even the Father. Okay, and so encouragement, 
psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, giving thanks, all those kinds of things. We will be pouring edifying words into each other. We'll be building each other up because we need each other to be the image of God. I need you. You need me. We are, we are bone of bone, flesh of flesh. See? Yes, the primary relationship, husband and wife, but it speaks of our unity together. That is why uh, it is so important for us to guard uh, the unity. That is why Paul in Philippians chapter 2 talks about that unity and that we should be like, we should have the attitude of Yeshua. Go, you can read it on your own. The first 10 or so verses of Philippians chapter 2, right? We're called to defer to one another, to love one another, to build up one another. It all goes back to the creation order. It all goes back to the creation order. But notice what else it says here in, in Ephesians in chapter uh, 5. Then it says, and yield to one another in the fear of Messiah. Be subject to one another. One another. So far, two times, one another. After we're filled with the Spirit. One another. Notice, yield to one another. Okay? And so we're to defer to one another. You know, when it says be subject, I like to use the word yield. And it's kind of like, like when you get on the highway. Okay? When you're coming on the on-ramp onto the highway... You know, in Columbus, it's kind of like that in rush hour, but if you ever get on the 101, the Ventura Highway, in, uh, in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, is, for me, in my personal experience, the best illustration of this. Because you have this little on-ramp, right? And you have bumper-to-bumper traffic uh, all the time. You know the only difference between the traffic there and the traffic in New York? In New York, they yell and scream and honk their horn. In Los Angeles, they're all passive and, and getting ulcers, and uh, doing the same thing, just without honking the horn. You know, it's basically the same thing. Okay? So you get on the sunroom, and you have to, you, you can't just get in that lane. You can't just say, let me in. Uh-uh. Bad things happen. Right? you got to work your way in. You have to yield right of way to that traffic. You know? Yield to one another. And that's what we're called to do. One says, subject to one another. You know, I, whenever I see that word subject, it makes me think of me and my cousin Jeff when we were 10 years old on Saturday afternoons watching wrestling on TV. And, uh, you know, those guys, right? You know, and then we would like, then we would like act it out, you know? And if we could hold them down, you know, probably spit in each other's face or something too, you know, that's what you did when you, yeah, right? And they would submit, they had to submit to it, you know? That's not what this means, Okay. It means yield. Much better word, isn't it, uh, in English? Yes. Okay. But to one another, to one another. And then we, it is illustrated. Okay. Why? And it talks about different kinds of relationships as the, next three cha- as the next chapter and a half continues. Different kinds of relationships. So then you have husbands and wives, right? Husbands and wives. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Messiah is the head of the, the body of uh, the community of believers, he himself being the Savior, Yeshua being the Savior of our body. Uh, But you'll notice, we don't have time to go unpack this whole thing. You read it on your own, but you'll notice that the husband has the responsibility of loving his wife, of, of being loyal to his wife, and of protecting his wife. And the wife is, the wife responds how hard it is 
when the husband is not uh, uh, loyal and loving the wife, how hard it is for a wife to respond correctly. How would we be able to say, don't, you know, we love the Lord, we love God, if we weren't quite sure if he really had our best interests, we'd be just more afraid, you know? But because we know that God is absolutely loving toward us and absolutely benevolent, that we can freely love him. And so the point of this is, is that in Messiah we're reclaimed and we can come back to that creation order and we can come back to the way God made us to be as husbands and wives, as men and women, and as human beings in fellowship and demonstrate what it means to be the image and likeness of God by the way that we interact with each other. Yes, to be in the image of God means to oversee this world, dominion and, you know, and, and all of that. It means to have freedom, choice, but it also means to not be alone. And it also means to be in healthy, personal relationship, husband and wife, and others as well. Quite clearly, when it comes to husband and wife, the creation order is a man and a woman. Not because I think it's right, or because that's how I grew up, but because that is how God made us. And that is how we are most happy and satisfied. See, And so, whatever the state of affairs is of our personal relationships, in Messiah there is healing. In Messiah there is, there is benevolence. In Messiah, there is edification. In, in Messiah, uh, there is growth and oneness and the joy of personal relationship. God repairs marriages. God repairs relationships between parents and children. God repairs relationships between others. Now, on this side of heaven, you know, we can uh, get into issues of forgiveness and, and reconciliation. Uh, but as much as, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, as much as it depends on us, let us be at peace with all people. And God has certainly, when God reclaims us, he gives us the opportunity to be the men and women that he has indeed called us to be. What a, an ideal delight Eden is supposed to be. And we look forward to the day when the whole world is delivered. And we return to Eden. But you and I, we can experience a taste of that today in Yeshua, the Messiah. The one who forgives our sins and takes them away and reclaims us for himself. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, what a wonderful, what good news we have. Lord, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you created us in your image and in your likeness. Lord, and we confess that we have such a difficult time living that way, living the way of satisfaction and of joy and of peace, and Lord. And so, God, we confess that to you. But Lord, may we remember, always remember who we are in you, no matter what our personal circumstances are, or no matter what's going on. May we never forget who we are in you, your image and likeness. And may, the, may our character, may our ethics, may our morality all reflect uh, that, uh, that image and likeness. As we serve this world, uh, as we serve one another, and as we freely make right choices in our lives by your guidance, we pray in Yeshua's name.